invite you to open your Bible with me to uh, the Old Testament, uh, the book of Ruth. We're, we're going to finish this series of messages from Ruth. Today we'll look at uh, chapter 4 together. And uh, so I invite you to uh, read with me from Scripture together. And if you would, to keep your Bible open uh, as we just uh, work through this text together. I'll be speaking this morning on the subject of Ruth's uh, redemption. Let, let me pray with you. Uh, Father, you have a word for us today. A word we need to hear. That you've made provision for us to be forgiven and freed from all shame and all guilt. God, if that weren't enough, that you also are faithful in your providence to see to us and to care for us. And Lord, may we find that our faith in you is strengthened today. For you know, Lord, how often we find ourselves weak and fearful, many times question circumstances in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that in your providence that you care for us. And so we pray you'd speak to us today and minister to us through your spirit, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This story is about a Jewish family who, during a time of famine and trial, they leave the place that God had placed them in Judah. And the dad makes a very poor spiritual decision and decides to uproot his family away from the land of promise and the place of worship and the place of provision. And he runs off to Moab looking for greener pastures. And there in Moab, in a pagan place, a uh, idolatrous place, he settles. The Bible says in Ruth 1 verse 2, he remains there and how quickly times pass and over a period of 10 years of staying in Moab, Elimelech dies and then Naomi loses not only her husband but then she loses Malon and Killian, both sons. Loses her family and here she is a widow left alone grieving with two foreign daughters-in-law, and God in his providence is at work, seeing ahead of her, and also seeing to her, directs her to go back home, go back to Judah, to your roots. She makes the decision to return, and one of those daughters-in-law, Ruth, decides to stay with her. And then as the story progresses, there is no coincidence that God works in his providence to bring Ruth together with a Jewish eligible bachelor who is very wealthy named Boaz. He works, brings them together, and in Ruth chapter 3 verse 9, she makes a request of Boaz and says, I'm your maidservant, let me be taken under your wing and asks him, since he is a close relative, if he would consider 
serving as a redeemer. And Boaz responds in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, Ruth, don't fear. I will do all that you request. And I promise you, Ruth, that I will redeem you and this situation or there's someone else, there's a closer relative than I, but you can be sure that you're going to be well cared for and provided for. And then chapter 3 closes with Naomi and Ruth waiting, hopeful and encouraged that Boaz will step up and will serve as the Redeemer, delivering them out of their poverty, poverty and despair. And so this morning, let's read together, starting in the fourth chapter, and we'll bring the story to a close. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. And so he came aside and he sat down. And Boaz took 10 men of the elders of the city and sat down and said to them, sit down here. And they sat down. And then he said to the closer relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem it, my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in foreign times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was of Killian's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord, make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathath and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. And the story goes, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. 
And when he went in to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Oh, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, his father. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. And Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. What a great story. The verse, if you have your Bible, continue to be open. Boaz goes to work, begins to take initiative on Ruth's behalf. In verse 1, he goes up to the city gate. The gate was the public place of business where legal actions occurred. And he sat down waiting, looking for this closer relative. And sure enough, the closer relative appears on the scene. And Boaz says, hey, I've got some business to discuss with you. Come aside, friend, and sit down with me. It's interesting, the word for friend literally is Palomi Elmoni. Sounds kind of funny, Palomi Elmoni. But the word for friend literally is translated, could be English, literally is translated so-and-so. So-and-so. Boaz says, Mr. So-and-so, let's talk business. And the name, his name is never mentioned in the story. Boaz has done his homework. In verse 2, he gathers the 10 elders of the city together. It's the board of aldermen. It's the city council. And he files legal notice. And Boaz and the city council and Mr. So-and-so all sit together. It's a day in court. And the business session begins. Verse 3, Boaz presents his case. Now, Mr. So-and-so, you know... Naomi, your relative, she has returned from Moab, and due to her desperate poverty, it has forced her into bankruptcy. And Mr. So-and-so, Naomi, has been compelled out of necessity to sell the land belonging to Brother Elimelech, your relative. And Mr. So-and-so, since you have done nothing, since you have taken no initiative, I have filed today petition with this court. And Mr. So-and-so, I'm here today in front of this council of witnesses to inform you of the legal terms of this meeting. Mr. So-and-so, here are the conditions of this proceeding. Verse 4, you have the first right of refusal. 
Either you, as the closest, closest kinsman redeemer, do as the law specifies and serve, either serve as the redeemer and buy back the land, or let it be known that I, as the next closest of kin, will do so. So, Mr. So-and-so, tell me, in all of these witnesses here before this court, what are your intentions? And in verse 4, Mr. So-and-so is quick to respond. Let it be known this day to this fine court that, yes, I will redeem it. Then being the, the thorough adjudicator that he is, verse 5, Boaz says, let me take a moment and state the terms of this redemption deal in more detail. It's all in the text. Mr. So-and-so, let's be clear, let's review the law and what you've just agreed to do. If you step up to the plate, the redemption statute clarifies the redemption must be wholly satisfied. And so these are the terms. First, it includes Naomi's interests be paid in full. Second, it also includes the interest of this young foreign girl, Ruthie, meaning that you will enter into a covenant of marriage with her, and it means that you are liable for all of Ruth's needs till death do you part to perpetuate the name of her deceased husband as well as to ensure that this future child of Ruth receives his or her rightful inheritance. In other words, if you perform your duty with Ruth, and if she has a child by you, the land that you will purchase on Naomi's behalf that once belonged to her deceased husband will be held in trust, and when the child is of age, that land is to be passed along to that child as his inheritance. Mr. So-and-so, these are the terms, these are the conditions, are we clear? Are you agreeing to these six terms, that you will pay for the land, make sure it stays in Naomi's family, you assume all responsibility for Naomi's needs, she's old and needs a lot of care. Third, you will marry this young Moabitess Ruth, assume all of the duties for providing for her. Fourth, you'll perform the duty of having a child with her, preferably a son, to carry on the family name. Fifth, you'll take care of that child and raise that child and love that child and provide for that child. And finally, when that child is of age, you will pass this land along to him as his inheritance. Are we clear, Mr. So-and-so, on the terms of the contract? And in verse 6, after hearing the terms of the redemption contract spelled out a little, Mr., little more clearly, Mr. So-and-so realizes that what earlier seemed like an easy real estate deal becomes complicated. The long-term costs and all of the additional fees are pretty severe, and so Mr. So-and-so quickly blurts out before the court, uh, 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 I've changed my mind, I'm out. I'm declaring my legal intention is that I am no longer interested in meeting the terms of this contract. Look at verse 4. 
He's very quick to blurt out, yes, I will redeem. And now two times in verse 6, he says, I cannot do it. I cannot do it. I, lest I ruin my, my finances, lest I ruin my own inheritance. I'll not pay such a costly price. It is too high. It is too much. The terms are beyond what I can do. This, this is an, an investment nightmare, which I am not willing to do. Let me paraphrase verse 6. The only way to pay for this is to dip into my current assets. I'd be required to sell off some of my existing land to generate the revenue needed for purchasing Naomi's land and then paying for all of these additional costs. All of that would ruin my own family's inheritance. The word ruin literally means to destroy my, my inheritance. And so Mr. So-and-so is saying, I don't have the necessary resources, I can't come up with what's needed. And he declares, I apologize to this court and I withdraw my earlier offer. Boaz, it's all yours. You serve, you, you redeem the situation for yourself. And before those witnesses, the Bible says, this contract was signed. The deal was sealed with an exchange of a sandal. I want you to notice in verse 7, it explains that this was the custom in Israel. The redeeming and exchanging of signing a contract was Mr. and so-and-so takes his sandal off and gives it to Boaz. Hey, maybe the next time you do a little bank deal with your person there, you, to seal the deal, you take your shoe off and he takes your shoe off and you exchange shoes. You know, Tyler came to my office this week. I told Minnie, I said, never in Louisville would I have a banker come to my, to my office to bring, the, to bring the contract. But we didn't exchange sandals, but maybe, maybe, maybe the Bible's on to something there. I want you to listen to a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 25. I, I thought this was pretty interesting. It's about, it's about this exchanging of these sandals and this redemption process. Listen, this is Deuteronomy 25. It says this, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Huh. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of the dead brother and his name may, so that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. Isn't that wonderful? When Mr. So-and-so refused to step up 
when according to the law, he could not meet the terms, when he declared to the elders, I am not going to redeem this woman before he shamed her and before she came to the city gates and removed his sandals and spit in his face, God in his providence was already working to raise up another in his place. God was at work raising up a redeemer. And in verses 9 and 10, Boaz steps up. He confirms the transaction. He receives and keeps the sandal of, Bo of this Mr. So-and-so. And this is what he says to the witnesses. My will is to fulfill the law. My will is to meet all of the law's demands. My will is to absorb all of the costs. My will is to pay the full price. I'm ready to do whatever is necessary to serve as this foreign girl's redeemer. And the end of the story is, notice verse 11 and 12, Boaz receives a blessing. It says, may the Lord make Ruth fruitful, providing you with offspring. May the Lord prosper you. May the Lord make you famous. You remember prior to this, you remember the Bible says that Naomi and Elimelech, their two sons marry Orpah and Ruth, and it says for 10 years there was there was no children, no offspring, no fruit, no sons, no, no daughters, no grandkids. Ruth, in all of her years with Malon, had never conceived, but look at verse 13. Look at this verse. Read it just again with me. And it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The point is the Lord caused her to conceive, and she, she bore a son. And then if you go down to verse 17, and the Bible says, And the baby boy was named Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, and this baby boy became famous. And then notice at the end of the story, verses 14 through 16, the blessings upon Naomi. Her friends, all of her girlfriends say, praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, Naomi. Verse 15, may this grandson, oh, may this grandson, this only grandson that you have, may this grandson serve to restore you, Naomi, and may this grandson serve to nourish your soul. And I love verse 16, this closing picture. Here is grandma Naomi. And the Bible says here she sits in that rocking chair with this infant boy laying on her bosom, enjoying God's blessing. And the story closes with some of the names of Jesus' family tree. I want to propose to you a couple of considerations for application this morning. The first is this. Faith comes with rewards. Faith comes with rewards. First, with Naomi and Ruth, they're trying to do what's right. God's led them back to the land of Judah. 
They go back to Bethlehem and they, oh Ruth, she works hard every day. She's living above reproach. She's trying to adhere to God's laws and the outcome is God in his providence. You remember providence? Providence provide from the word provide, pro, you remember, is ahead. Vide means to see, which means God in his providence. It's all about his provision about his, the way he provides, he sees ahead of us. Listen to me this morning. God sees ahead of you. He's way out ahead of you. God knows everything on your horizon. In his providence, he sees ahead. But not only does he see ahead, but he sees too. It means he sees too. He takes care of. God's way out in front of you. He's faithful to care and to provide for us. God is at work in the lives of Naomi and Ruth, rewarding their faith. And I also want you to notice how the very first verse of this book begins. Look at chapter 1, verse 1, and and the very contrast it with the way that the story ends in verse 1. Of, verse, of chapter 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, and then it closes with the name of Israel's most famous king, with some of the names included in Jesus' family tree. This story paves the way for God's people then and for us today. The fact is what Boaz was willing to do by faith affected his family, and it affected his future family for generations to come. Obed led to Jesse, and Jesse led to David, and it led to additional grandsons and additional granddaughters, to be sure, for family members that Boaz would never meet. Do you know what Hebrews eleven six 6 says? It says that God is a rewarder to those who diligently seek him, those who seek to know him and to obey him and to serve him and who are willing to sacrifice through faith. Listen, have you ever considered that today? That your faith in God and your obedience to God and your willing to serve the Lord and willingness to sacrifice the Lord will have an effect upon your grandkids and your great-grandkids and future grandchildren to come that you may never meet. Faith rewards. That my faith and Mindy's faith, as we strive to be obedient to the Lord and serve the Lord as we serve together, is going to affect future generations that we'll never meet until we're in glory, until perhaps in heaven. Listen, God rewards and honors faith in him, those who continue to believe in him and trust him even when you can't see how he's at work in his providence, he's ahead of us. I want you to be, I hope that you're encouraged today that God in his providence rewards faith. Second, I want you to consider Mr. So-and-so and his unwillingness to serve as this kinsman redeemer. Once Boaz delivers the terms for the redemption and the, the redeemer that the redeemer has to agree to, in verse 4, notice, Mr. So-and-so publicly says, I'm in. I'll do it. What a great deal. 
And I'm sure the elders and all of those standing around the city gates burst into applause. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, that's so great. Then Boaz reviews all of the terms just to be clear. He reviews the sacrifice, what this redemption is going to demand, and then suddenly Mr. So-and-so begins to fade. Look again at verse 6. I cannot. I cannot agree to those kinds of terms. Uh, Boaz, you, you do it. I, I can't do this. Mr. So-and-so is quick to make a commitment. He hears the word and with joy springs forth into action. Yes, this is a great deal, but once he begins to understand that this is no easy, quick real estate deal, the weight of the sacrifice begins to choke out his commitment. And he says, I can't. I can't do it. The price is far too steep. It's far greater than I can bear. And I begin to think about verse 6. I begin to ask myself, what, is, what does that mean, verse 6? What does it mean? Does it mean Literally, that Mr. So-and-so says, I can't do it, or does it mean I won't do it? What do you think? It's a worthy question, because whatever that verse means, the application for those two conditions is completely different. If it is legitimate that he really couldn't meet the terms of the deal, if he had to sell off existing assets to generate the necessary cash flow that was needed, thereby ruining his own inheritance that was in place for his family, if he legitimately could not perform the deal, then yes, he was legally exempt because in that case, he was unable to meet the demands of the law. You get the application. Neither can we. Neither can you. If we, if we have any sense that our salvation is any way based upon our performance, if we think in any way that our salvation is based upon us, then we completely misunderstand it. Which which will always lead to one of two things. It'll either lead to despair, feelings of failure, I can't do it, I can't do it, I've tried, I've tried, I can't do it, and leading to self-condemnation and shame and guilt and despair, it'll either lead to that, or second, it will lead to pride. We're church people don't understand the gospel and they don't understand their salvation and this prideful mindset begins to set into the church and people in the church begin to think, oh, I'm worthy. I'm worthy. I've got it together. Quenching out this real sense of humility and deep gratitude for the gospel. The fact is our salvation is only because of Christ. You got saved only because of Christ. 
to the work, the gracious work of God's Spirit. The only thing that keeps you and I saved is the grace of God. The only thing that will lead us to heaven is the grace of God. From start to finish, none of this is about our performance. Our relationship with God through faith in Jesus is entirely because of Christ and who he is and what he did for us. So if Mr. So-and-so was unable to serve as the kinsman redeemer, if he faded because he genuinely could not meet the terms in the law, then the certain application for us is it is a reminder that our salvation is only because of Jesus Christ. Like Mr. So-and-so, we too are unable to meet the demands of the law. However, What if Mr. So-and-so's fade, what if his retreat was only an excuse? What if it wasn't he couldn't meet the demands? What if it was because he wouldn't meet those demands? What if Mr. So-and-so's failure to make the necessary sacrifices and to keep his commitment was completely because he was unwilling to do so? He was being asked to serve as the family's redeemer, to buy back the land that Naomi had to sell, then to take care and provide for her, and then to marry Ruth, and to take on the responsibilities of a new wife, and then to raise up a child with her, and carry on the former husband's name, and to incur all of the expenses, and then finally when that child become of age, then he has to give it all away to that child. The fact is to serve as the kinsman redeemer would be costly without any visible personal payoff, I'm out. Forget it. In that case, the application is far more, well, I don't know if it's more disturbing, but it's still disturbing. Don't you appreciate that Boaz, as this adjudicator, made sure that the terms of the deal were clear? that the redemption contract was up front, that everything was spelled out. Jesus said that if we're going to follow him and if we're going to serve him and accept him and live for him, then he says what? Count the cost. Any person going to war, they count the cost. Any person beginning to build a tower counts the cost. Why? Why count the cost? Well, because we need to be up front with the conditions, with the terms of what is being required to be Jesus' disciples. Sure, we are saved by grace through faith. That's the heart of it. However, salvation by grace through faith is what? Unto good works. Which means all of us were saved to serve. And the terms for Jesus are demanding. Young people, whatever your age, older people, when you accept Jesus Christ, the terms for being his disciple are demanding. Death to self. Picking up a cross. Some of us can't pick ourselves up out of bed on Sunday morning, let alone pick up a cross. Being his disciples, sacrifice, dying to self, Carrying a cross. Let me ask you, what are you willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Time? For many of us, it's one of the most important assets that we have, time. 
Will you give your time? Finances? We've got a mission offering coming up November 21st. What are you preparing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Anything? A token? A joke gift that you want him to accept? Family? You willing to sacrifice family for the cause of Christ? Don't you remember Jesus said our love for him is to be so strong that in comparison to our love for family members, it seems like hate? Popularity? Reputation? Position? Are you willing to sacrifice anything and everything for the cause of Christ? Those were Jesus' terms for being his disciple. It's kind of sad to me, Mr. So-and-so never received any tutelage on God's calculus. All he understand and understood was me mathematics. Me mathematics. What's in it for me? Will this be easy? Will this be enjoyable? And, and God's calculus is completely left out of the equation. Mr. So-and-so ran the numbers. He made the calculations and he made the decision. I have to protect myself. I've got to protect my portfolio. I've got to hold on to what I have. And in so doing, he flunks the test. Because in God's economy, two plus two may not equal four. In God's economy, two plus two may equal six. In God's economy, two plus two may equal ten. He understands nothing about God's calculus. The message of the story is in God's kingdom, it runs on a different kind of calculus. Mr. So-and-so strikes out because he clings to what he has. He clings and holds on to what he can see, and he thinks of ter in terms of what he's going to miss out on. And as a result, he and his family and his descendants failed to make it in Jesus' family tree. Think about it. Instead of that saying Boaz, it could have said whatever Mr. So-and-so's name was, but he misses out. He and his family and his descendants lost their place in salvation history. His son, his daughters, his future sons, future daughters, grandkids are never found. I want you to notice in the genealogy in verses 18 through 22, do you see Mr. So-and-so? Do you think it's intentional that that translation, Elomi, Eldomi, is, is literally translated Mr. So-and-so? Do you think that's intentional that his name isn't left out? I don't. It says Elimelech, Malon, Boaz, then Obed, Jesse, then David. Mr. So-and-so counted the cost and concluded that faith's demands were too high for him. Next, consider with me the relationship between intimacy and offspring. Obed is the result of what? He's the result of the intimacy between Ruth and her redeemer, Boaz. The Bible says Ruth and Boaz's marital intimacy results in fruit, that fruit being Obed. I read the story this week of a married woman who was related to this text, and she went to see her doctor and wanted a checkup because after several years of marriage, she and her husband were unable to conceive a child, and so the doctor listened, and during the visit, he diagnosed the problem. They were unable to conceive because there was no intimacy in their marriage. You and I 
being able to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 2, or also the fruit of reproduction, winning others to Christ, the result of fruit is always related to the result of our intimacy with the Redeemer. It's always the result of intimacy with the Redeemer. And Jesus said in John 15, a couple of verses, do you remember? Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, what? He who is intimate with me, Jesus says, will bear much fruit. For without being intimate with me, you'll bear nothing. And this is how my Father is glorified, that you're intimate with me and we'll bear fruit together. Let me close. Unlike Mr. So-and-so, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, never, never, never faded from the price of your redemption. In Gethsemane, that garden, Jesus gathered to pray there with his disciples, trying to find strength, urging those brothers to pray with him. For the flesh, the spirit was willing, the flesh was weak, and Jesus begins to review the terms. There in Gethsemane, on his face before God the Father, he begins to review the full weight of the sacrifice trying to get his mind around the weight of what such redemption would cost. And as he began to grasp the terms of the redemption deal, the Bible says in his anguish, he begins to sweat, and his sweat is with such intensity that his pores begin to open and emit perspiration mixed with blood. And in his anguish, as he reviews the terms of this redemption deal, he cries out to his father and says, Father, are these terms of the sacrifice correct? Am I understanding these conditions rightly? Father, is this what I'm agreeing to do? Is this the cup that has to be consumed? And in his anguish, the father whispers to the son, yes, my son, these are the terms. And in those moments of deep anguish, faith's reward came into view. And for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the terms of the cross, despising the shame and the horrible sacrifice, and uttered a victor's cheer. Father, if these are the terms, if this is what the law demands, then by faith I'll lay my preferences aside and I'll lay my desires down and your will be done. Hillcrest, what a redeemer. How, how can you, how can I do anything less than to give him our all, than to give him my life, than to surrender my finances, to be willing to sacrifice family, time? How can we do anything less for one who gave it all for us? Aren't you thankful that the terms were all satisfied? Jesus was able to meet all of the law's demands. 
Thanks be to God today. Glory be to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm determined that whatever years I have left, whatever breath that I have left in me, by God's grace, I want to run the race and finish the course that he set before me and hear him say unto me, well done, Charlie Davis. What sinner still saved by grace, still messed up, but just to do our very best for the Lord and hear him say, well done. Are you giving him your all? Have you surrendered all to him? Whatever faith requires, whatever the demands are, that you would say, Lord, I'm, you, I'm yours. Take me, use me. Whatever you can do with me, God, I'm yours. Just, just use me for your glory. I invite you to pray with me.